Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, do we have a special guest on the show today. Christina Flack is a celebrity makeup and hair artist and both the creator and CEO of Pretty Girl Makeup. With a client book that spans from brides to politicians to celebrities alike, her goal is to always make her client look and feel beautiful on the inside and out. As the driving force behind Pretty Girl Makeup, Christina and her company have worked with some of the most recognizable faces, brands, and publications, and she also doubles as a fashion commentator for Soap Opera Digest. While her professional resume is quite impressive, Christina is also quite generous in sharing her personal life and her relationship with grief. As a kid, Christina was with her mother until the very end as she battled cancer. In 2006, her infant son passed away on Christmas morning. In 2018, Christina's husband, professional tennis player Ken Flack, succumbed to sepsis. Through her grief, Christina found a new purpose. Along with being a CEO and mother, Christina now spends her time spreading awareness of sepsis, sharing her battle with grief, and teaching others how to smile in the face of tragedy, and of course, with her four beautiful children. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you. What a nice introduction. Thank you. I, I mean, this is all you. This is your life's no. work. I mean, <laughs> your resume is so impressive. Like, thank you. I did my, I did my homework, and you are such an inspiration from a business perspective and from an entrepreneurial perspective, a female entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial perspective, but wow, what a generous human to share what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, that is truly the apex of why Q, our producer, and I started the show was to showcase the stories of the people behind the beautiful brands and the companies that they built. And you've also made that your life's work. So you are just a dream to have on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here today. Thank you. I love it. So one of the questions we always ask on the show to kind of give a full spectrum of the guests that we interview is what was little Christina like? When I was a young girl? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I was kind of a tomboy. I lived in, I grew up in Marin County, so there's a lot of hills and I would run, I, I was, I loved horses. And so I would run around the hills. I, I brought a horse home one day that I found. Um, I grew up playing tennis. I played junior tournaments. I was ranked in California and I had a really great childhood. However, my mother uh, was diagnosed when I was eight with, with uh, brain cancer. She had a 1% chance to live one year and she lived 13. And so that was very challenging, obviously growing up with a mother that was terminally ill. Um, she just wasn't able to be the kind of mother that she wanted to be because she was so sick. And back then chemotherapy and radiation were so much more aggressive and debilitating. So, so that was hard, but overall I had a, my father was amazing and I, I had a very happy childhood. Are you still in Northern California? I am. I'm still in Marin County. I grew up in Alameda. So we are two Bay area gals. Yes. My my business partner, uh, Jordan Hall lives in Alameda. Currently? Yes, he does. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. My husband actually opened a restaurant, um, a barbecue restaurant called the best little pork house, uh, in Alameda before oh he my passed away. Gosh, yeah. where was it on the Island? It was, it was on the Island. It was at that mall. Where South the shore. Goes. 
South Shore Mall. Yes. South Shore. Oh my gosh. My parents had a bar and restaurant for 40 plus years on Park Street called McGee's. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure if you ever went there, but it was, oh. it was a staple. It was oh, an wow. institution for a That's good amazing. long while. Yeah. Fantastic. Memories. What was your first experience with makeup? Because you said that you're a tomboy when you were younger. When did the makeup and the beauty and the the feminine part of you start to showcase, you know, on the exterior? That's a that's a great question. My mother was uh going out on a date with my dad, and I don't even know what inspired me, but I just said, Oh, mom, let me do your makeup. And she didn't have like a ton of it or anything, but I, I, I did her makeup, um, her skin had, my mother was incredibly beautiful. And when, after the chemotherapy and everything, her skin got discolored and she lost her hair. And so she didn't feel like herself, obviously, but what really resonated with me and felt so good was doing her makeup. She instantly felt better on the inside. And that's one thing that I love of my job is turning people into the best versions of themselves. And it just made me so happy that it made her happy. And then I just started doing friends and stuff. And, and it's so funny. I'm kind of a dude, but I'm a total Fruella girl. So I, you know, I love, you know, being outside and doing sports and everything, but I definitely have a very uh, girly, girly side. That's so funny. We are similar in that, in that regard. How old were you? I mean, was that your, I mean, you had no experience prior oh, with makeup. None. And so at what age did you get that ping? Were you like, oh, mom, let me do this for you. I, I don't, I, maybe I was like 13 or 14 or something. I was young and I, and I didn't think it was going to be my job or anything. I just did it for her. I didn't even realize that makeup art, artists were, I, I didn't know it was a job. It seemed like something so far away. Like that happens in Hollywood. That doesn't happen where I live. And so it was really, uh, when I became a makeup artist, I, I, I started doing friends and family and then people would hire me for weddings. And then I worked with photographers and then something was published. And then I got my agents and it just kind of organically happened. And I, I never expected it to happen. I never in a million years could have envisioned when I was in high school thinking, oh, I'm going to be working with Condoleezza Rice for Time Magazine or Gucci or Louis Vuitton or Metallica or Journey or Bobby Flay or Tyler Florence and never, 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 never. So it's, it was, uh, it's, it's a dream come true. Honestly, I love it so much. I'm kind of a gypsy. I love being in new places all the time and working with different teams and, and being an artist, it's, it's fun to create beautiful things with, with people that have amazing lighting and then work with these fashion designers. It's, it's really fantastic. So how did you go from not knowing in high school that you wanted to do this professionally or know that it was an option to being a professional makeup artist? What was the in-between of that? Did you go to college? Did you go to any sort of training or do you have any certificates under your belt? What happened between high school and now? Yeah, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, no, I did not go to makeup school. I've worked with different makeup artist teachers to learn. I, it's just, a, you know, doing, what do they say? 10,000 hours. And I've probably done 50,000 hours. Um, I went to college. I played tennis. I was in Texas at a school um, called Robert E. Lee, and I played tennis there for a while. And then I went to school in Mexico. Um, I went and got a degree in art history. And uh, my degree's it, in art history. Oh, no way. We, we have so many parallels. I know. That's we, so interesting. I, okay, I continue. So then what happened? I got, I fell in love and I got married to my kid's dad. And I, I after I retired, I'd won the Acapa. Uh, Mexican clay courts in Acapulco. And I really didn't want to, I wasn't going to be 
as dedicated. I didn't want to travel around the world and do that. It just, I think we're probably because of my childhood being so kind of unstable with my mom being ill. I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to have like a normal child uh, and adulthood and, and, and children in a family. And so I got married and had five kids. And in between then I was doing my makeup and, and then I started Pretty Girl in 1999. So what was the apex of starting Pretty Girl? When did you go, oh, now is the time to do this? Was there white space in the market? Was there, you know, it's, was it, the market a, telling you? Yeah, it was more that I was a mom driving around all the time, drinking water, putting on lip gloss. It was a constant battle and I couldn't find a lip gloss that would last long enough. So I thought, oh, I'll invent my own. How hard can it be? Little did I know it was gonna take a ton more time, a ton more money and a lot of effort. So I worked with a beauty chemist to formulate uh, the product. And then we, and it took over a year and I didn't think it would take that long. I thought it'd be a couple months and I'd be in Sephora and you know, have a trillion dollars, but it, it, I enjoyed the process. So you start working with the formulation and then you try it out on your friends and your family and that have all different skin types, you get their comments, give it back to the beauty chemist, and then you go into formulating the colors. And so I was self-funded at the time and I wanted all the colors to look good on everybody. So that's why it took quite a bit of time. I wanted the red to be, you know, red's a, a weird color. It doesn't look, every red doesn't look good on everyone. So I had to find one that did. And it was a really fun process. I enjoyed it immensely. And I think I've instilled that in my kids. Figure out what you love doing so much that you're not getting paid, that you still want to get up and do it every day, and then figure out how to get paid. And then the third thing is figure out where you want to be in the world. My daughter, Melania, was studying in, Europe, uh, in London. Uh, she's a fashion designer. My daughter, Rose, went to NYU film school. She's a screenwriter in LA. And I love that they are pursuing their dreams and their goals and, and enjoying it because work, you're going to work every day. You might as well do something that you love doing so much. It's so true. It's so true. How many colors did you launch initially? Uh, there was uh, six, six colors. Six colors. And what does the product line look like now? It's right. It's so funny. It's changed so much over the years. I've added beauty products and candles and scrubs and, and eyeshadows and mascaras and liners. And right now we're just have the lip glosses, but we are right now in the midst of coming together with two different investors to create a new skincare line, expand the makeup line and um, home good line. We'd like to do candles and, and different aromatherapies. And I'm really into nutrition. I would love to do some supplements and green juices. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a, a fun journey these next couple of years. I love it. And I think it's so special that it's become a lifestyle brand to really mimic how you live your life. That's really special. Right. And I think this is something for our listeners to take um, note on is that your business can and should evolve with time. If it doesn't, it might stay stagnant and it might not do well. I think it's very important to be flexible, to continue experimenting, to allow Absolutely. yourself to ebb and flow and be malleable to both what the market wants, but also what sets you on fire as well to make sure that there is still life being bred into what you do. Absolutely. I think it's important. I mean, when I started my brand, 
it, it was so different. There were not, there wasn't an Instagram and a Facebook and TikTok and the beauty editors at the magazines were the influencers. They were the queens. And that's who you met with in New York. You would go with your, I would go with my publicist, Yvette Masterson, and we would go meet with the beauty editors. And then we would meet with different um, celebrities and, and their representation and get them to use our products. So it was just a very different culture. And I've had to learn how to change with it. You, you know, magazines are so different now. And now you have all these influencers and all these different celebrities that are coming up with their own lines. So, and it's, it's, it's very challenging. That's for sure. I would love you for you to go deeper into that transition of the world of the publicists and the magazines kind of holding hostage, the messages that get to public and then transforming your marketing pro, um, process internally to when social media started taking hold. What was that like to, to make that transition? What was, was your strategy? Did you have one? What, I, what, I mean, I'm so curious. There was no strategy. It was just like all of this. It, it, I remember my son had passed away and I was going through a very challenging personal time, obviously. And I just kind of was letting my company just run itself, but not really be as aggressive as, as I typically am. And so then when I finally was ready to get back, like really focus on it. I had gotten divorced and Ken and I met and we got married and I was really stable and happy and everything was great. I really felt like I want to give pretty girl a real, another really good chance. I felt like the child that didn't go to college and I wanted to, I wanted her to go to college. So it was a lot easier to just focus on that. And then I had to hire, and that's one thing of being a CEO, you've got to figure out what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and where those holes are. You need to find people to get on your team that know what they're doing with this sort of thing. They need to know how to do the social media, how to do the marketing. And you have to, you're constantly learning and it's constantly changing. So I feel like I've just had to be open and figure out what's going to work. And oftentimes things don't work the first time you have to do something else. I, I remember thinking, I remember being in, in style magazine and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a gajillion orders. And they were just kind of normal flow of orders. And then I was in this tiny newspaper in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, and I sold like $20,000 of lip gloss in a few days. And that, it, it, so it just, you never know what's going to work. So you just have to keep throwing pasta on the wall until something sticks. I think it's so interesting because my jewelry brand has had quite a few like big breaks. Right. And so people sometimes come up to me and go, oh, you're probably too big for this now. And I'm like, no, a sale is a sale is a sale. Are Where do you kidding? want me to no. set up a pop-up shop? Is it like the corner? I will go and set up a table there and sell. I will hawk the merch wherever I can. Like totally. I have no shame. And it sounds like that was very, a very exactly similar story. The same. I get asked that at all the time. I'm like, uh, no, are you kidding? No, you just can't be that way. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think you always even if you become successful, you still always feel like you're just starting. I don't think you ever get to a play. Well, I, I don't know. I'm just going to say for myself, I, you always kind of feel like, oh, you're the beginning again. And, and, and you don't really feel, I, I, I think if you get to that place where you you've made it, then you've kind of given up and you're not doing anything. So I think you always have to be striving for more and, and continually growing and, and trying new things and trying to get better all the time. 
I think that's definitely the spirit of a purebred entrepreneur, right? Of feeling like you have these goals, but the goalpost keeps moving forward or right. it shifts to the left or shifts to the right, but you don't, every time you reach something, you're not like, okay, that's it. Now no, I can yeah, we did a rest on my no. laurels. Right. No, it's interesting. I, I have this quote on my office, on my desk and it's by Babe Ruth and I'm going to not do it correctly, but it's kind of like about not giving up. You can't beat someone down that just refuses to give up. And I think that's kind of how I am. Like I've had all these obstacles happen in my personal life that have kind of halted things or shifted things. And then the world shifted and I've had to kind of figure out how to ride the wave, ride the wave because the waves are going to keep coming at you. And, you know, it's, I read this after my husband passed away, I went to this grief camp at Canyon Ranch and the woman that was running the the grief camp, uh, her name was Rabbi Sherry Hirsch. She's from Los Angeles. And she had written a book called We Plan and God Laughs. And that's kind of how my life was. I married the love of my life. I was so happy. My kids are great. My ex-husband was great. Work was great. Everything was great. And then everything fucking sucked. And I'm sorry, but that's how it felt. Like everything just went upside down. And I, you know, going to that camp, it was not pleasant. I thought I, my friend Eva was taking me to a spa for the weekend and she clearly lied. Grief camp is no fun. It's, I was walking around like a zombie and I just couldn't even focus at all. And, but it really did help me to figure out. And now I can speak about dealing with grief about at the beginning stages, like right when it first happens, you're in such shock and dismay and like, everything feels upside down and you're trying to feel normal. I kept saying that. I'm like, when am I going to feel normal? When am I going to feel normal? Well, my old normal is not my normal right now. And I had to learn that. I had to learn that if I got too hungry, too thirsty, too tired, I didn't exercise. I didn't rest. Everything was so much worse. So I think my best advice for anyone that is going through the grieving process is be kind to yourself. My friend, I, Anna had said to me once, you are so incredibly generous and kind and loving to everyone in the world, except yourself. You beat the heck out of yourself and it makes no sense. Like you wouldn't treat another, you wouldn't treat anyone the way you treat you. And so I've really had to like step back and think like, wow, why am I being so mean to me? I'm doing the best I can do. And I had to be, I had to learn to be gentler and kinder to myself. That's so interesting. One of my best girlfriends and I were catching up last night and she basically summarized her Bible study that she went to earlier this week. And she said that they were talking about the golden rule, treat others as you would treat yourself mm -hmm. um, or treat your neighbor as you would like to treat yourself. And she said, the thing that I think collectively that we miss out on is the treating of ourselves properly. We treat everyone well. I mean, all True. things considered, you know, okay. unless you're, unless you're, a demon. You know, well, coming from a bad place, right? But like generally speaking, when people are going about their day, you know, unless you're going after someone, which I hope no one does, right? You know, it's usually yourself that you need to be kinder to. So at what point did you start to learn what your method was to make sure that you were treating yourself well? What was your what was your gauge as to when you weren't a hundred percent? you know, focused on yourself? I think I, I'm very disciplined regularly. And so I, the first time around when my son passed away, I was a mess. And so I knew that when Ken 
passed away, I couldn't go down that same dark hole. I just couldn't because it was going to, it was going to affect my children. And my kids had been through so much that I couldn't let, let them lose me as well. So I just became even more disciplined. I would wake up every morning at the same time. I would have a green juice, take supplements, go to yoga, go for a walk, ride my horse, uh, do my work, take a rest. I, I just scheduled everything out. I would light a candle. I would take a bath at night. I just really tried to keep things on track. And that little by little helped. At the time, my, one of my agents had called to check on me a couple of days after Ken had passed. And I told her, get me on a shoot. I don't care who it's with. I don't care if they pay me, just get me on set. Because when I'm on set, that's my happy place. I'm always feeling productive and I'm happy. And I, I thought, okay, as soon as I get on the shoot, I'm going to feel normal. Well, it was seven days after my husband died. My world was upside down. I'm on set with Third Love, which is a lingerie brand. And I got there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not, nor I'm not feeling, I, I'm not better. This is, this is really bad. I shouldn't be here, but I had to get through the day. I broke down a couple of times. I, I went and, you know, did what I had to do. And then I'd go back to my area and just kind of be quiet and just think like, oh my God, this is crazy. And the only thing you don't learn, you don't get over someone dying. You just learn to manage it. And you learn that there's going to be hard moments. There's going to be good moments, but there's going to be hard ones. And the hard ones, you just know they're going to pass. You just have to let it take a minute, go take a nap, meditate, pray, do something. I, I had to figure out what would calm me down at the time. <laughs> it just was, I, I didn't know, but I, I feel like it's been for, it'll be four years this March 12th. And I feel that I finally gotten to a place where I'm happy. I'm happy with my life. I, I love what I'm doing. Um, and I'm very grateful for the time that I had with Ken. And I think that was another thing that my daughter had said to me was, mom, you have to just be grateful the time you had with daddy. You, you know, I, I, we were married for eight years. It was not enough. I wanted 800 years and, but I do just have to think about the good times and the love that I had and how much joy he brought into our life. And that's the only way I can kind of deal with this. Right. What is your current self-care regimen? Cause I think that you, you said different modalities that you would choose while going through grief, not to say that the grief ever goes away, right. but on a daily basis now, what does self-care look like so that you can keep your cup full and so that you also recognize if you're, I hate this word, but off balance in any way? No, I, off balance is perfectly fine. I, again, just doing the same thing that I try and do every day. I wake up early before I get out of bed. I say, I love you, Christina. We're going to have a great day. And I set an intention for the day. And I wake up and do the, the, the tea, the juice, the vitamins. I go work out. I check my emails. I check in with my assistant. I do a podcast. I, I, I try to take time to be outside and get fresh air. It's super important to me. Um, and try and set up fun things to do with some friends or my kids or, or my, you know, I walk with my dog a lot. So it's just, I just try to 
be productive and at the end of the day, be okay with what I did instead of what I didn't do. I used to do that all the time. Oh my God, I didn't get enough done. I didn't get enough done. And now I'm, I just think, okay, it's six o'clock. I need to tone things down and make a nice dinner for everybody and, and, and relax a bit. I love that. Focus on the things you did do, not on the things you didn't do. What does your weekly schedule look like? Because you are managing quite a diff, quite a few things. You have a full family, you have a company that you're running. And then the, you know, the crazy thing about being a makeup artist and a hair artist is that you're on the go. And it's not like those projects are regularly scheduled. Those can be any time or, you know, day of the week, month, year. So what does that weekly, monthly schedule look like for you? I think when you do what I do for a living, you know, that every week's going to be different. I never, I never have a week. Well, that's not true. I did a TV show in LA with Isaiah Washington for Fox called Kitchen Talk. So that was like two weeks of every day I was working on that show. But I never know. My my agent could call me right now and say, you need to be in San Francisco to do something in three hours. It's just, it's it's not a stable life and you just get used to it. It doesn't like, I get excited about it. I was, I worked with the CEO of Ford last week and then I was with the the new CEO of Instacart. I, let's see, what else have I been doing? I I did a shoe brand this week, Uh, last week. I did a Vionics, it's a shoe brand. Um, It's just always different, but I, I enjoy that. And it's fun because being on a shoot is exhausting. You're waking up early, you're on your feet all day. And so doing a couple of days of a shoot, you actually welcome being in your office and being able to go to my yoga class at eight or nine 15 in the morning and having a bit of normal life. Oh, I totally get it. Quiet time with my computer is sometimes like my best time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my, my me time in my self-care. Yes. Well, everybody, you are listening to Christina Flack on Marin Costello radio, the one and only Christina Flack. Christina, what was your one big break. Was there one particular project that you did where you were on set or an opportunity where you thought, holy, you know what, this is, this is the big leagues. Not to say that you ever like make it to your, you know, to where you want to go, as we just discussed in entrepreneurship, but was there a moment where you thought, wow, I've arrived. I have a lot of those moments. I, there's not just one meeting Condoleezza Rice and doing time magazine. Um, Hillary Swank for the Bulgari and Christian Dior sending me all this makeup to work on her. Isaiah Washington, everyone I work with is so interesting and fun. Like I, I pinch myself. I'm at Gucci or I'm at Louis Vuitton in San Francisco. And I'm like, I can't believe there. I have so many moments like that. And, and it's pretty exciting to feel that I have all these exciting moments. It's not just one time. It's every time working with these CEOs that I work with or the Ford, the man from Ford. And it's, it's really pretty exciting having that career and having that opportunity to meet. I always say that being a makeup artist is like, uh, my gift with purchase of being a makeup artist is having one-on-one time with someone, one else is there. And I get to like, do what you're doing with me. And I get to talk with them and hear about their life and, Sometimes they want to hear about my life or sometimes it's just quiet and they don't want to talk at all. So I have to kind of gauge with them what their need is. Being a makeup artist, you obviously are trying to make them look like their best, but it's really important to make them feel like their best. So when they get in front of the camera, 
they're happy. You can't, you can't only hide, you can't hide sadness or misery on the camera. So I, some, I always start out with aromatherapy and massaging their hands to just kind of connect with them, but to get them into a nice chill place. And so that I think is one of the things that I am really good at is making people feel happy and good. I love that. What a, what a unique and signature and special thing to do for your clients. I mean, I've been in the makeup chair so many times and no one's ever done anything like that. How, I mean, that would be such a moment that you would, you know, that would be imprinted in your mind forever. What would be some other protocol that you would recommend for folks in the industry to adopt? Cause I know that there's a lot of, you know, do's and don'ts, maybe some behaviors that aren't as well received. What would you suggest as more of a mentor role for folks who are interested in, in getting into the industry? I would probably go and intern for a makeup artist and see if you actually like it. It may not be the right lifestyle for you. You may not like waking up at four in the morning and being on set at five 30 and being on your feet all day. Um, I would work with different, I would offer to work with uh, different photographers and reach out to them, see if you can get experience like that, because the only way you're going to get an agent, you have to get a book, you have to get a portfolio together. And it, it can't be pictures from, you know, Instagram that you just take of yourself. It's going to have to be lifestyle and fashion and different things. So I, that's how I would go about it. I feel like the OG version of a book was quite literally a printed book of your work. What does a book look like now? Cause I imagine that there is a digital version of a yes. book. Yes. It's, uh, it's my agent is constantly updating and changing my book. And I don't know why we still call it a book, but it's, it's, um, it's online. It's just a, a website now with, with updated version of, of my portfolio. So yeah, they don't, there's not a book anymore that gets passed around. It's, uh, it's all online. So it's, it's actually a lot easier for the clients to see. And it's interesting. Instagram is a huge thing now with clients. They all look at your Instagram and see what you have going on. And I've had clients, I had a brand boys and arrows. It's a swimsuit brand in LA and they hired me because they saw me on Instagram, flew me to, down to Cabo and, and, and I worked for three days on set there. It was so much fun. So it's, it, you never know where you're going to get jobs, right? How would you recommend someone go about getting an agent or getting a publicist? Because you have your fully formed team. Now I imagine, you know, you being in the industry, for so long, it's kind of burn and churn at this point. Like it's, you've got your, you've got your rhythm, you've got your system, you've got your own personal machine. If someone's like, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm interested in doing this. Where do I go to find these folks to represent me? Well, you have to get to the point where you can't just go, okay, I'm going to go hire a publicist and I'm going to get an agent. You, again, it, you have to do so. It took me years and years of working and, and putting a portfolio together to present, to see if an agent would even take me. And then when they did, and then I got the publicist when I started Pretty Girl. Pretty Girl has the publicist, it's not really me. And now I have an assistant and it's so funny, my assistant now pretty much does all the bookings for podcasts that I'm on all the time. And I did never expect in a thousand years that I would be interviewed 
dispute as much as I am. And it's, so she keeps me on track with all of that booking that. So it's, it changes, right? And then the people that are in charge of my team that's in charge of the Instagram and and the social media and, and doing all that stuff. So it's pretty, uh, it's, it, it's, it, I have a really fine tuned team right now. I have a great business partner, Jordan. Um, he's fantastic. And I'm so grateful that I have him. He's, it's just, he, he, he gets me. And it's so funny. We met on a, um, on a photo shoot, he had hired me. He owns a production company. He's a CEO of a production company and he hired me. And I really didn't think he particularly liked me because he was kind of grumpy, uh, but he loved my work because he didn't have to touch it up. He's like, you are the first makeup artist that I work with that I don't have to sit and post and fix it. So I, we just, and then during COVID, he, he contacted me and said, I'm looking at your uh, website for Pretty Girl. And I said, Oh, and he goes, it's ass. Can I fix it? And I'm like, oh, I go, no, I don't have money for that. The world's ended. No one's put, you know, everyone's wearing a mask. No one's buying lip gloss. And he's like, no, 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 I'll just do it. So anyway, it just, we started working together. And I said, you know, why don't, I love working with you. Like, why don't you be my partner? <laughs> and he's like, okay, but we're going to go big and I'm going to do a business plan. I'm like, all right, you do whatever, go for it. I'll just do what I have to do and you do you and now we're us. <laughs> that is so amazing. So would you argue that your two main streams of income are your makeup and then pretty girl, or are there other streams of income that you well, I have, have other, I have other investments that I have that are, you know, that I have income from. So I'm very fortunate that I've been blessed with enough money that I can invest in things that return money to me every month. Sure. Um, we like to kind of explore what being an entrepreneur is from, you know, the core, right? Because every one of our guests has so many different projects. When you're comparing both your work on the field versus Pretty Girl, what would you say the percentage is of, you know, where the income is coming from? For me, it, it ebbs and flows based on, you know, wholesale versus direct to consumer versus, you know, our uh, custom clients. It also um, ebbs and flows with seasons. So where would you say that, you know, where are, how are those two um, streams of income dancing? It's, uh, right it, now? It, it is a dance. One goes more, one goes less. It just, it goes up and down. And I think the thing is right now, things are pretty even. So that's kind of nice when they're both kind of doing well at the same time. Um, That's awesome. But I've also figured that for me, I like having plan B, you know, at first plan B was pretty girl and now plan B's big. It's, it's so my plan A and B have changed a bit. So that's kind of interesting. I'm, uh, but I, I, I still, it's so funny. I, I get asked all the time, like, why are you still being a makeup artist? And I said, because it makes me happy. I love it. You know, I would not, I don't want to be stuck in an office all day long, every day. I still, it keeps my brain fresh and creative. And it also, I love meeting new people. That's just, I, it's one of the things I just love. And I think if I was sitting home in my office or it, it would just, I don't know, it doesn't feel like a, it, it, it I think it keeps me balanced doing both things. I think that is so smart. When I changed my jewelry hobby into a jewelry brand, into a company, uh -huh. there was, you know, such a huge 
quarter life crisis that I went through because turning a hobby or something that you love into a business, it rips a little bit of the joy away, right? Because there's pressure behind it. There's responsibility behind it. It's not just do whatever you want, whenever you want. There are expectations um, for you to, you know, arrive and deliver. And I think it is so, so smart from a spiritual and soul level that you kept that in your life because you were able to identify with, no, this brings me joy. I don't care how big pretty girl makeup gets. I'm still going to do this because this is what fuels my soul. Right. And I love connecting with people. Not to say that you you do, won't connect with people with pretty girl, because obviously every time someone unboxes your beautiful product, that's a connection, right? But it's a different, it's a different form of it. And I just, I want to just applaud you for, for making sure that you kept that in your life and being steadfast to, to what brings you joy. Right. I th- it's, it's interesting having like these two careers at the same time. They're, they're similar, obviously, but they're very different. And I, sometimes I like being a makeup artist better than I like being a CEO. And then other times I, when I'm on set and it's a difficult day, I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm a CEO. I should go. Jordan will tell me oftentimes if I'm having, he's like, Hey, start acting like a CEO. And, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's so funny. But I think that if you're not having those conversations with yourself, and for me, it's a daily, it's like, you know, all day long, every day of like, I'm doing amazing. What the hell am I doing? Everything's perfect. Everything's failing. Like those are very normal emotions to go through on a daily basis. Um, And I think that ultimately the trajectory is up. It might be a little bit like this, you know, up and down, up and down, but always in a, in a upward motion. So long as you know, you're really answering those questions and asking those questions as they come. Yeah, it's, it's true. I, I just try now to keep kind of balance in my day. I don't try and go, things are great. Things suck. Things are great. I I just try and go, it's just a moment and it's going to pass. And so just kind of keeping things from escalating. I just try to keep them balanced. And that is, I think the best thing, just know there's always going to be change in life that I can guarantee. It's never going to, nothing's going to stay the same. So it's your choice on how you choose to flow with those changes, whether you want to fight it or go with whatever the universe has planned and just let it be. I just wrote down change is the constant. You're dropping so many gems on this podcast. Thank Thank you, Christina. (laughs) Change is constant. It's never, life is never going to stop changing. And so if, if you don't like change or fight it, well, it's going to be, you're going to have a very challenging life. Speaking of challenging lives, I would like to speak with you about, you know, your grief story and when you felt called to share your story, because I think that going through grief and going through, you know, pain and suffering in your case over and over is difficult enough. At what point were you like other people need to hear this? I can help people. Well, I did, they actually came to me, the Sepsis Alliance, that's what my husband passed away from, came to me and asked if I'd be willing to raise awareness using my husband's image and name to educate others on the signs of sepsis. So there are not as many loss of life. There are a quarter of a million people die every year from, from sepsis and no one knows what it is. And so I said, yes, I, I, I thought about it for a minute and I thought, you know, that might be a, a good way to honor my husband, but to use that grief in a positive way. I had started um, an educational fund for my son, Bo, at the Northern Lights School after he passed away. And then there was always a golf tournament 
this school is amazing. It's in Oakland. Almost 90% of the kids are there on scholarship. And so the school runs solely on grants and donations. And so Ken had played in this golf tournament. My kids have participated. My son, Ben, Bo's twin, for the last five years has been playing in the golf tournament and raising money for his brother and now his daddy's foundation. And he has raised over $100,000. And every year, so in October, he raised $36,000, which enabled three kids to go to school for an entire year. And so I just feel so great about that my kids from a young age have learned to be generous with their time and help others because they have a very blessed life. And it makes me feel good. People don't want to talk about a dead baby. And I didn't want my son to be forgotten. So we started the baby bow fund. And then at uh, the Edna McGuire school in Mill Valley, my friend Lisa Zimmer was the principal at the time. And I, my kids were at that school. They had this garden that was just kind of abandoned. And I thought, Nutrition and education are incredibly important to me. I wanted to make that garden part of the kids' experience of raising vegetables, picking them, cooking with them, doing science experiments. And so they named that after my son, Bo. So it's the Bo Friedman Outdoor Classroom. And so that feels really great to me that, that my son is still touching other kids' lives. Quite literally, inside and out. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. So what are your plans for spreading more awareness? What does that look like for you? I guess it keeps just speaking about this with with you lovely people that interview me on these podcasts and TV and radio and magazines and newspapers. And just if you go to sepsis.org and scroll down, there's a little graph that says time and Sepsis is an infection of the blood that is very aggressive. And if it is not treated with an IV antibiotic, it attacks your vital organs and you pass away very quickly. My husband, we called the doctor on Wednesday. On Thursday, he was on life support. And on Monday, we took him off life support because during those few days, his, uh, all his organs were shutting down. His hands and feet turned black. When I asked the specialist when that would go away, they said it was never going to go away. If he survived, they were going to amputate his arms and legs. And at that point, I knew that I had to like my, you know, myself and Ken's kids, we, you know, we just knew that this was not going to go on and he wasn't going to survive. And when we did take him off life support, he passed away in a, in a few moments. Um, so Time on the graph means T is for temperature. You can be very hot or very cold. I is for infection in some place in your body, whether it be a cold, a cut tooth, or bronchitis that turned to pneumonia, like my husband, or a cut leg. Um, M is for mental decline. It's hard to rouse them they're, because they're just not really, they're foggy. It's just hard. And then E is for excruciating pain. You feel like you're dying because you are dying. Sepsis is not something that you can say, oh, I'm going to go to bed and I'll, if I feel worse, I'll go tomorrow. If you have any of those signs and you think you might possibly be septic, go to the emergency, get a blood test and, and be treated and you will survive. It's totally treatable. Unfortunately, my husband's doctors at Kaiser Permanente did not see him. And so we had a terrible outcome. 
a horrific outcome. And uh, so I, I really urge people to talk about this with their friend. Do you know what sepsis is? And you get more information. And I think the more that people know, there will be less loss of life. Absolutely. What does treatment look like? It's an IV antibiotic, very strong IV antibiotic. And and then just rest and it, they, you know, they get better, but if not, you know, it, for example, cough medicine with coding, we all think, oh, that's so great. I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to feel so much better. Well, if you have an infection in your body and take cough medicine with coding, it slows down your breathing to the point that you can't function and you start, what happened was the infection grew like a wildfire. So within 16 hours, my husband taking the cough medicine with codeine and no antibiotic to counter it, he was on life support. I mean, it was that fast. He was spitting up blood. He couldn't breathe. His organs were shutting down. It's, it's shocking. My husband is a big, strong athlete. Like nothing was taking that guy down and sepsis does, does and did. That is so wild. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like you know, there are so many people who wouldn't necessarily think of those symptoms of being, you know, as detrimental or as serious because they are, you know, also symptoms of things. Right. And also you have to kind of know your body. We all know what it feels like when we have a cold or the flu, we know what we feel like. If you don't feel like you're normal, like something just feels something's off. That's when you have to go. And if you, I, I had a friend go, she contacted me. She wasn't my friend at the time, but she heard an interview. She thought her husband might be septic. She contacted me and I said, get to the hospital. And they didn't want to give him. They're like, oh, he's not septic. No, he's not. Well, he was. And she demanded a blood test. So I think that's another thing. I would be a lot more aggressive and proactive. If I know that something's not right, I would say I need a second opinion or I demand a blood test. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But if I'm right, I'm not going to die. Just being proactive. Mm -hmm. You're very proactive, you know, in pretty much all areas of your life. I'm curious if you consider yourself to be a spiritual person and what- Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. I I gathered that, but I wanted to get confirmation. How are you proactive in your spiritual practice? Oh, well, well, I meditate, I pray. I talk to my angels. I have energy healer. I'm very spiritual. I, I know that there's a God. I, I think now I, I remember I used to fear death and now I just know, like I get to go be back with my husband and my baby and my mom and my grandparents and my friends. Like, so I don't think it's such a scary thing anymore. I don't, I know I'm going to have a very long life, but I know that one day when and I go up there, it's, it's not going to be a bad thing. Amen. I think that is the one, one of the many beautiful gifts that spirituality has given to me is this uh, sense of peace. Right. Right. And, and instead of operating out of fear, operating out of peace and just knowing that, you know, even death is not a scary subject anymore. And I think that going through, you know, having people in your life pass, does also kind of change your perspective on death, right? Because it seems very scary and then it happens and you're like, oh, this is real. This is, you know, you know we, what? we actually, are born and then we die. It actually makes me appreciate life more. It Correct. makes me appreciate like 
today is a beautiful day and I have people in my life that love me and that I love. And I try to focus on living life to the fullest more so than before. I don't believe in wasting time. If you find the person you love, be with that person. And I think, I think that's the biggest thing that has changed with me is just really experiencing and loving this extraordinary world that we live in and, and looking at it through beautiful eyes of, of joy and love. I think that's been the biggest thing. Instead of thinking about dying and death, I think about living and living in life. And also what that next chapter would be like, right? Like it's not as scary when you think, oh, I'm going to be with all these people that I, that I love. And I still speak of, you know, those who have passed on in the present tense, but that's like, you know, second part, that's the after party. Exactly. Absolutely. I love it. What do you have going on for the rest of the day? What do I have? Well, I have another interview in a little while and I'm going to check all my emails, check in with my assistant, check in with my partner. Yeah. Probably never end calls. Yeah. But a well, good day. Are, I need a work. I need to get a workout in. That's for sure. What are your um, workouts of uh, your favorite workouts? Today? I go to hot power yoga. Um, I love it. It's really hot. It's loud blasting music. It's there's weights. It's a great workout. I go to Pilates. I hike, ride my horse. I what else do I do? I like to play golf, tennis. I like to be active. I love that. I was a big hot yoga fan. So I lived in Los Angeles for 14 years, grew up in Northern California for 18, lived in LA for 14, um, fell in love with hot yoga and then moved to move myself in the headquarters to Tampa. And I recently found my hot yoga studio here. Oh, and really? I, I mean, we call it church because I, I it know. just, uh, it's everything, it's, isn't it? It's everything. So if ever you're in Tampa, I have a class for you. It's I called, can't wait. it's called booty yoga, B U T I. I'm not sure if you've taken that modality yet. It's, I haven't. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's like hot yoga mixed with sculpt, mixed with cardio, mixed with Love it. tribal dancing and tribal chanting. Oh, wow. It is like the most unbelievable spiritual experience. So next time it. you come well, to Tampa. I look forward to that. My treat. Yeah. You, okay, you would, thank you. I mean, I'll take you up on that. Thank the community so is unreal, but I'm excited about it because it's on Wednesday nights and today is Wednesday. We're Yay. recording on a Wednesday. Fantastic. Yes. Well, where can we find you and how can we support you? You are so wonderful. And I'm so excited for our audience members to listen to your story and to just soak in all of the the knowledge that you've shared with us today. Thank you. Um, Well, you can go to christinaflack.com to see my book uh, and prettygirlmakeup.com to check out uh, our products. We are offering a 25% discount with discount code prettygirl, all one word. And Instagram, Christina Flack Makeup. Pretty Girl Makeup is P-R-E-T-T-Y-G-I-R-L-M-K-U-P. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're all over the place. So yeah, thank you. so amazing. Do you, what do you think the next chapter of your, of your life is going to be? Or are you like, if it's like this forever, then I will be, you know, hundred percent happy. Are there anything, anything, any projects brewing that you can share with us? Well, I'm ex- really excited about the new company that we're starting um, with our investors and with Jordan. We're really looking forward to that. I'm looking for just good health and love sharing my life with someone. That would be really nice. I love that. Well, when you guys get the new company up and running, we'll have to have you back on oh, for an encore show That'd be so we can celebrate the next yes, chapter. Thank, thank you. you so much for being on the show. You are oh such a bright light and oh, such a wonderful you. human. And thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it so much. Oh my fun. gosh. 
Oh my gosh, likewise. Well, folks, that was so amazing and massive. Thank you to Christina for coming on the show. And another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and our producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please be sure to leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people like Christina and conversations that you love. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostello Radio on Instagram. Have the most beautiful day everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. Yeah.